right, welcome back to the Community Well. I'm so excited. This week we have Pinnacle Partnerships, and it's Christy and Diana. How are you guys? Hi, we're right. <laughs> I'm so excited that you guys are here, and I, listen, it's going to be an amazing episode. So Pinnacle Partnerships is an organization that provides mental health services, revolutionizing how schools and organizations partner with families and communities through coaching and implementation to support social and emotional needs. Ooh, I, you all know that I love what you guys do and what you all are doing. Can you guys tell us more about um, your organization and how you guys came about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Pinnacle Partnerships, just like you said, we are a children's mental health uh, company. Uh, we're really focused on building and helping communities to build the partnerships that are necessary to help maintain children's mental health across the spectrum. Uh, and we're really rooted in family-driven practices. And so we really recognize that families are at the center. And so, you know, a lot of our work is collaborating with communities as well as schools um, in a family-driven way to help bolster student social-emotional learning. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And how did you, Christy and Diana, come together to create um, Pinnacle Partnerships? So we were destined to meet. <laughs> we were both uh, actually doing some volunteer work through the Harvard Innovation Lab at a incubator for mental health. And there were a lot of very bright minds in the room centered around different services, thinking about different companies that could potentially launch into the mental health space. And Diana and I were sort of the only two people in the room that were really focused on how important it is to be centered and in partnership with families when talking about mental health for children. Yeah. And so we decided that we were going to work on a project together in that space. And I think within the first two meetings that we had outside of that larger group meeting, we realized that we were sort of on an entirely different track than what everybody else in that incubator was doing. And so we sort of decided to move forward on our own and we just uh, rode off into the sunset together. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> I love that. So how long have you all been established as an organization? So we've been established for a little bit over two years at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, because it sounds, so you all met just about two, three years ago? Yep. And I'm asking that because you all were destined <laughs> to be in this partnership because you all mesh so well. It's like a, this beautiful, I was going to say marriage, but you know what I mean. It's like <laughs> this partnership that it, it pretty <laughs> much, right, <laughs> that um, it just flows. Sometimes you can see... Um, where it's like, oh, you guys just met each other, but I feel like you guys have known each other forever and you guys mesh really well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And our families will probably say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, always like, you guys are like the same person. <laughs> we're just, you know, we, we met on this, like Christy said, this mutual un deep understanding of all of the 
challenges of the mental health system for children and families. And, we, you know, we immediately bonded over that and, um, and, and our passion really shone through. And so, you know, that really was the foundation to all of this was our shared passion and understanding for the challenges that children and families face, you know, when mental health is an issue. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> the, the, um, the shared passion really does make a difference, I think, in, in how we're able to work together and, and create all the different things that we've created with Pinnacle. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I feel like, especially, I mean, in general, families are definitely impacted and the, the lack of support and those things. But I think especially during these times, you know, um, families are really being impacted by everything that's going on with COVID-19 and um, children, especially. I think we forget that children are part of the community. You know, we focus on individuals like adults and, and things of that nature, but we miss out on the, the children. Um, what advice would you guys have for families um, in ways that they can nurture their, their children's mental health during this time? Yeah, you know, I think one of the main things that we have been talking about, not just with, with families, but even with educators, right? Just, you know, we, we like to think of families and like, you know, educators as being the adults, right? That umbrella that, you know, the, the people that are really holding the child's social, emotional well-being. Um, and have the opportunity to impact that. And one of the things that we find to be really important is just, you know, acknowledging that these times are difficult, not just for the adults, right? You know, I think every adult I know is has been grappling with, with what this pandemic means for them yeah. in many different ways. And, you know, children are just as impacted, if not more so, um, in various ways. And so, one of the things that we really say is, you know, keeping the conversation honest with kiddos is really important. Um, you know, acknowledging that things are really wild right now and having a conversation about that and allowing, you know, giving that child space to kind of express what they're feeling and what anxieties may be coming up for them. And, you know, also helps to give the adult the opportunity to, um, to provide a different perspective or maybe to even correct some misinformation, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that happens with kiddos a lot of times is that, you know, they're taking in so much information and because they're not as cognitively advanced, right, as, as some adults, they're filling in those gaps with whatever tools that they already have or whatever perspectives that they already have. And so sometimes that helps, that, that helps but also sometimes it makes it worse, right? It kind of exacerbates those negative feelings that they may be having. So, you know, having those close collaborative conversations with kiddos um, at Pinnacle, we, we're always talking about this concept of collaborative problem solving. And, mm -hmm. you know, it really does apply to this in terms of sitting down with kiddos, hearing from them what they're thinking and, and providing that space. And then the other thing too is um, being really aware of what our expectations are of kiddos mm -hmm. during this time, right? Um, for adults, I think, you know, we tend to um, adjust our expectations accordingly, maybe of ourselves and our peers, maybe a little bit easier, but a lot of times, you know, we're still kind of having the same expectations for the kiddos of what, you know, whether it be academically or behaviorally, right? And, and we know that in times of stress, 
kids show that they're stressed or that they need help through their behaviors. And so, you know, being flexible in, in how we're interpreting those behaviors um, and, and trying to be collaborative with the kiddo to address, you know, the underlying factors of those behaviors. Yeah. I so think the good. other thing just from, um, you know, because we always think about the parental perspective um, is that parents at this time really need a lot of support in how to have these conversations. These are very difficult times. And so for parents, a lot of what we sit with is being able to provide answers to our children. Mm. And we don't have answers, right? The, the information is changing, news is changing, updates are changing all the time. And that's very unnerving for families. And I think that with trying to homeschool and talk, we, talking about kids that are struggling with mental health, and a lot of times you may have families who are struggling with their own mental health needs, or now, I mean, really, you know, Diana and I talk about this idea of this pandemic trauma, this societal trauma that we are all going through right now. And so the difference in the way that a parent may be responding or thinking about responding to their child in these times and with questions that we've never been faced with before as families. And so when you have a child that has a mental health need and you as a, a caregiver don't have the answer to that and are grappling with our own levels of anxiety on any given day based on what's happening in the world around us, that can be a really tough thing. Yeah. And so I think, you know, one of the messages that we are trying to give to parents is to be easy and forgiving, you know, with yourself. Um, you know, it's okay sometimes to say to your kids that we're all figuring this out together and just knowing that together as a family, we're going through this and you'll always have your family that's here with you and, you know, just allowing families to feel that's okay to not always have the answers, right? Because we yeah. always want to have an answer to make our child feel better. And it just feels sort of impossible in these times to be able to do that. Um, and the other thing, you know, in working with educators, I think is that we have really tried to talk about this being a very opportune time for engagement with families in an entirely different way. Mm. And that there are the four walls of the school and the four walls of the home. And that for years and years, there's always been the challenge of bridging and trying to understand what is happening in either direction. And now there's an opportunity to support families differently, to learn about families differently, and to really create engagement in a different way and support in a different way with families that can it really stand the test of time and not have back to school nights that are half empty <laughs> or families that are feeling isolated um, or, you know, feeling the brunt of the stigma of having a child with mental health needs. This is a great time to be able to understand what's happening in the home because these bridges are happening since we are apart, we're using video technology, we're calling home more. And so there's more opportunity to learn about what's happening in a family's home and engage with them differently than we would in a 10 or 15 minute parent teacher conference situation. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, you all dropped some nuggets. I'm like, oh, hold up. <laughs> like, so, so many good points. Um, I think one of them was acknowledging what is going on right now that as a society, this is, this is traumatizing for all of us. It's this complete undoing of everything that we're used to and accustomed to from every perspective, from families that, you know, educators, like everything is just upside down and being okay with the fact that right now, nobody's been through this. We don't know what's happening. We don't know how to deal with it. And then allowing yourself permission as a family to be okay with that and not have the answers. That part right there, I feel like is a huge first step because, um, you know, I think we, we talked about this where everybody was, you know, we have the, the cute little schedule that's going around on Facebook and, you know, and Diana talked about like expectation. Like we all had this expectation that we were gonna homeschool and these kids are sitting in their chair nicely and everything's gonna be like, mm -hmm. And it wasn't that at all. At least it wasn't for me. And I have no issue admitting that, you know, that, me you either. know, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I'm like, what is happening right now? And that behavior piece with, with kids, like my middle child was just not having it. His behavior was really, you know, it was not, he was not like himself. And that was him expressing the fact that this, this is making me anxious. You know, right. things are not the same. Kids find security in knowing um, every day is the same and we're going to school and this is what this looks like. And no, and it's no longer there. It doesn't look like what it used to look like. And so now it's like, uh, I'm confused. I'm a little nervous. Um, I don't know what's happening. I don't, I no longer have my friends. And, and so, like you said, that behavior piece where kids are like, yeah, this is how I'm expressing it. And now parents are possibly getting frustrated, um, and not knowing how to deal with that piece. Um, two things that I wanted to ask you, if you can talk a little bit more about what some of those things that it might look like, like how that behavior might look like in children when they're trying to express how it might man manifest like in tantrums, things like that, as well as how do families find support during this time besides their immediate um, possibly family members and things like that. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll touch on the first piece and then Christy, you can take up the second piece. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, in terms of like what behaviors can look like, it's gonna look obviously different from kid to kid, right? But you know, in general, I think things that um, can let us know that a child is feeling anxious, for example, let's start with anxiety. If a child is having some increased anxiety, some things you might notice are um, increased like stomach aches or headaches, they're not feeling good, right? So like some physical symptoms. Um, other signs of anxiety in, in kiddos can even be like outbursts, right? Or angers. A lot of times um, we misclassify the anger that a child projects um, as being, you know, whether it's like, you know, typically developing teenager stuff, but a lot of times, you know, anger can show up and, and it really is pointing to a, a deeper issue of feeling anxious and or depressed. Um, a child may show that they're withdrawing a little bit, right? So they're not engaging as much. Um, maybe they're not doing some other, th some things that previously were enjoyable to them. They're not, they're no longer engaging in those activities or when they do, they're not deriving as much pleasure or happiness from them, right? So that could be signs of maybe they're a little depressed or just a little bit down and out. 
Um, obviously changes in sleep, that's another thing that you can notice. And, and that's really hard right now. I'm talking with a lot of families about, you know, the kiddos sleep schedules off because now everybody's home and everybody's working from home. So, you know, whereas there was a, a strict bedtime or 7.30, you know, now kids are going to bed much later and waking up later because they don't have to be at school at a certain time. And, you know, and so it's kind of hard to kind of tease out sleep issues, but um, loss of sleep or sleeping too much um, are both signs, you know, that something's a little bit off, you know, whether it be anxiety or depression. Um, and then, like you said, you know, tantrums, right? Just outbursts that, that feel like they're way too much for the situation, right? In context, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, I, I give an example of, you know, my son, I accidentally paused a movie the other day and it was like, you know, <laughs> and it's like, you know, it was also like day two of bad weather. We hadn't been outside for a long time. You know, there was a lot of pent up energy. Um, and so, yeah, you know, behaviors can really tell us a lot. And I think historically, you know, in school settings and even at home, um, behaviors are often looked at, you know, surface level, right? right. If it's negative behavior, we're like, uh-uh, we can't have that. Yeah. And so, you know, at home, maybe we're doing timeouts. At school, maybe we're, like, getting sent to the principal's office. But one of the things we talk about a lot at Pinnacle is that behavior really is the tip of the iceberg. And it's it's usually pointing to something much deeper. And, you know, where, where we're in the this pandemic experience, I think we can probably assume that there's a little bit of stress and anxiety for everyone, right? And so, you know, I think the 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 biggest advice that we've been giving to parents as well as to educators has been, you know, just assume that people are having a traumatic experience and that behaviors are linked to that. And so if we assume that the way that we approach the behaviors are going to be a lot different, right? So we're going to maybe have a little bit more compassion, some more empathy. We're going to approach it with a curiosity and a listening ear. We're going to say to the kiddo, hey, you know, I, I noticed that before you were having a hard time, what's that about? And giving the kiddo an opportunity to express themselves. Yeah. Um, and again, depending on the age of the child, they, they may be really good at expressing themselves or with, with words and they may be not, you know, and so they might require the adult to kind of give them some words to, to target what they're feeling. Um, but yeah, those are some of the things. I think, um, you know, for families, self-care, right, is such a big, big deal, yeah. especially right now. It's always a big deal, especially when you're raising kids that have mental health needs. There's always a larger burden to bear um, than when you're raising typically developing kids. At all parenting, you need self-care, right? right? But when you have kids that have additional needs that you always have to think about, you know, in planning anything. It's really important to, you know, prioritize self-care and sort of that thinking about on a plane that nobody's on right now. Um, but, you know, putting your own oxygen mask on first, right? So that you can help others, right? Yeah. And so that's really something that is super important right now for families. And I think, you know, families trying to understand that whatever you're doing for self-care is okay, mm -hmm. right? So yesterday was Mother's Day, and 
I'm a single mom. And so me being able to get time alone is more difficult. My kids are a little bit older. So I literally just got in my car and drove around. And, <laughs> you know, that was like wonderful. I was yeah. listening to my own music. Nobody was telling me that they wanted to listen to whatever music. <laughs> They wanted to hear. Nobody was asking me to stop somewhere and get them a milkshake. You know, I was doing my own thing. So I felt like going home, right? And just that little bit of time being outside in the sunshine and just not having to think about anything was wonderful, you know? And it's okay to not want to be in the mode of like mother earth with your children under your bosom all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's yeah. that's okay to feel like that. Yeah. Um, or if what is making you feel good conversely in this time is to keep your kids close to you because this feels scary, mm-hmm. then that's okay too. Right. And everything in between. Mm-hmm. I think one of the silver linings that has come out of this pandemic is that lots of people are doing lots of free things for families. There's lots of free supports that are out there. There's lots of um, online support groups. There's lots of free exercise, free gym thing, all of these different types of things, yoga. So accessing some of those things, trying something new, you know, that maybe you've never tried before. Um, can be really helpful. We actually have curated a list of different resources on our website at um, pinnaclepartnerships.org. So we have a list of regular resources that we have, and then we also have a COVID-19 list of resources of things that we are working on. Um, And we continue to update for kind of the whole family that people can access. But I think right now, it's doing whatever is getting you through the moment with no guilt about that. Yeah, I love that. Completely validating that for, I mean, all parents and all families, but especially for moms, because I I think that, you know, we're really hard on ourselves. And I think validating the fact that if I want to hold you close to my bosom while I cook this meal and, you know, have my feet in the grass and whatever else, or if I'm completely like, help, (laughs) this is like all of that is okay and I think that that's huge to just validate um whatever it is that you're feeling is okay in this moment um I definitely want to talk more about the opportunities and creative ways in which we have to self-care um and pivot for educators after this little break we'll be right back all right we are back welcome back y'all so we were talking about this pivot um, in terms of families and self-care, which has been very different. You know, I think I was talking about before I would go to the gym for two hours and now, I mean, there are no gyms open. There's no, you know, for some people it's going to the spa. I mean, I don't know who does that, but people go to the spa, you know, and now we are limited in terms of, um, and I will call it an opportunity, like you all have said, because it's really a, a reframe that we, we, we have to change the way we think about it in order to embrace it. Um, so the opportunities to um, self-care in a different way. Um, what are some ways that you guys think that families can self-care during this time? Um, I think there's lots of different ways, you know, but just to me, the number one thing is doing what makes sense.
for, yeah. them, for themselves, you know, being really individualized, reaching out, I think being ahead of it, you know, if, if we feel as caregivers that we are overwhelmed um, to try to reach out, there's an interesting article that had come out, um, I think it was in the Washington Post, about the mental health crisis that we were already in yeah. and you know what is happening in the context of this pandemic and so i shared that article pretty widely and just really asked people to be ahead of it because i think both diana and i have talked a lot about there is going to be a real long road ahead of us when it comes to mental health um, yeah. and treatment for both for everyone right we're all like we said going through this societal trauma change and there already aren't enough mental health providers out there and there's already a huge amount of stigma right i always say the stigma is alive and well right you can yeah. feel the pulse of it yeah so i really am trying to um get people to be ahead of it you know if you feel off if you are not feeling like yourself if you notice with your kids that they're they're for an extended amount of time are are different in some sort of way to reach out and try to get services now yeah and as soon as you can because it can be difficult to navigate the mental health system especially the children's mental health system can be really difficult to manage and navigate and get services for and i think that as we move through this pandemic and we talk about re-entry we're going to see a lot of referrals starting to come in from all over the place yeah. um, for kids and so i think that if you can see it now as a parent in yourself and in your family to be ahead of that so you're not sitting on a wait list because i think we're going to have a little bit of a mountain to climb when it comes to the amount of people that are available to support our entire society as we re-enter into the world post COVID-19. Right. You know, like Christy said, now more than ever really is so important to be focusing on that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I, and I know that doing self-care was probably very difficult for a lot of people pre-COVID-19, right? Because if you think to our back to our society of everyone rushing around, go, 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 you know, from day, sun up to sundown. Yeah. Um, and so I think now people are in a position where maybe we're not moving as quickly, our bodies aren't moving as quickly, but maybe our minds are, right? And so finding a way to slow down. And so one of the major things that I've been saying to people that now's an ideal time to start doing is meditation. That is an excellent self-care thing, um, you know, really to help center you. Um, and there's tons of meditation apps available. We have a few that is listed on our COVID-19 resource page. Um, some are even completely free for educators right now. So if there's any educators listening, they can go on and if they have a school email and they get that app for free, um, but that is, meditation is one of those things that is, you know, relatively easy to get started. Um, and 
excellent self-care because it kind of helps us to slow down, you know, and especially in these times when our minds are racing with all the what ifs and what, what could happen and what will happen and yeah. when and all of that stuff, you know, finding some time to just kind of like slow down is super important. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for providing those. I think it's, it's so true. We are, you know, our bodies are still, but our minds are going. And I think, you know, especially for me, I'm married to an educator. And one of the things that we are, um, aside from our children, but also for him, what is that going to look like that reentry piece, you know, um, things are not going to look the same at all. And I think if we embrace that, it'll be better than if we're trying to force things to go, you know, uh, quote unquote, back to normal. Um, what advice do you all have for educators as, you know, right now during this time to engage their families? I know it's super important, but also later on to, to transition into whatever this new normal will be. Yeah, that's actually something that we've been actively working on. You know, we, part of our pandemic response plan has really been, you know, helping schools in the now, you know, to take advantage, like Christy has said, of the pandemic opportunities for family engagement and things like that. And then the other, the other thing is, you know, what is it going to look like post COVID-19? So helping educators to think about how to carry uh, the lessons learned from this pandemic into the, the era of post COVID-19. Right. And, you know, one of the major things that we are consistently talking about is that it, the importance of family engagement, right? Creating those strong relationships with the families and the community, you know, outside of the four walls of this of the school, you know, to help strengthen, you know, the resilience, right? And we know that one of the main things about trauma is not just the trauma itself, but then what happens after the trauma, right? Mm -hmm. How the people around us respond and in the ways that we, you know, kind of come together can really make a huge difference for the, for how people are able to heal and to cope following this. And so we're talking a lot about being trauma informed, right? For educators, not only for the students, but also for themselves, right? For, so for educators to understand how this pandemic has affected them yeah. first, right? And and so that they're clear on that and, and then they'll be in a better position to, to help out their students and their families socially and emotionally. Um, and so, you know, we have a part two of our Lunch and Learn series, which I don't think we've touched on that yet, but um, so we, we've been doing a series of Lunch and Learns for educators to help you know, to have conversations around the silver linings associated with this pandemic and the opportunities that it's brought forth. And so part two of that series is going to be more narrowly focused on the reentry process. Um, and, you know, we have different things that we've created to help educators with that, including, you know, post-COVID-19 screeners and questionnaires, you know, that they can put out to their families and their communities to be able to understand how they've been impacted by everything that's happened. And so they can utilize that data and incorporate it into how they're structuring out their classroom and school settings. Um, and so, and there's many more other, many more things besides that, that we've, you know, developed, but that's part of it, you know, thinking, we call it, you know, the long and short game, right? The short game is right now what's happening this week, you know, the online learning, and then the long game is, what does it look like in September, you know? Um, there's been tons of articles out there circulating about, you know, school's going to look different. Are they going to have, you know, glass shields around the desks? You know, are the kids going to be wearing, you know, pool noodles around their heads that are six feet to keep them away from each other? You know, there's 
many different things that are that are going to be different um, post COVID nineteen, and so yeah, we're definitely you know being anticipatory about those things. Um, but you know, the biggest piece of advice that I think we're giving is you know being gentle with yourself and and with others, and recognizing again that this is something that's affecting everybody, not just educators, but you know families, the children literally everybody is affected by this so yeah yeah and just to add on to the the lunch and learns we're doing them in four week cycles um each four weeks has a different topic to it and they're completely free um they're thursdays at 12 and so for any of your listeners that may be interested in coming on um they're geared towards you know thinking about what life is going to look like and education is going to look like and it's open to everyone. So it's not just educators. We really are wanting to have parent voice in there, caregiver voices in there, because we have been um, very happy to see that a lot of folks that are in higher decision-making places have been attending. And so it's a great opportunity to, ex to talk about what is happening at home and really integrate that. Um, so anybody who is interested in, in joining um, and eating their, their lunch with us, um, we're more than happy to have you do that. And you can find it on our website. Yeah, that is awesome. Thank you all so much for sharing that part. Um, you all are just a well of knowledge. And I really hope my listeners take advantage of uh, your organization, all the free resources that you all are providing. I think it's so helpful. I know I'll be digging in um, and I'll definitely be sharing that um, in the description. Um, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit more about personal experiences. And um, I know Christy, you have a child with mental health challenges and mm -hmm. um, Thank you in advance for sharing with us um, sure. your story. I wanted to know about your experience and, and you know, um, the challenges that you had um, navigating the system. Sure. So the first thing that I would just like to say is, you know, that we haven't said yet about Pinnacle is one of the things that we feel makes us very special is that we have this mix of lived experience and professional experience, right? And so I come to the field by way of my own personal experiences, raising a child that has very significant mental health needs. And Diane, I don't know if you wanna say a couple of sentences about your clinical um, background and what you kind of bring to Pinnacle. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a child and family therapist and um, soon to be psychiatric nurse practitioner. So I definitely come to the work from more of a clinical professional lens. Um, in my training to be a therapist, I fell into an internship um, at a children's residential home. And that really is what opened my eyes to the many vast and um, uh, nuanced challenges that exist in the children's mental health system. So that's part of um, what has led me to really just specializing in this and, and focusing on children and families. Yeah. So it's been, um, it's been wonderful and a joy to, I think, have both sides, right? So I came to 
this work very honestly by raising a child that has very significant needs that showed up very early on in his life. Um, and through, by way of accessing services, I sort of morphed into the career um, that I'm in and have worked in community and in government and in lots of different spaces, sort of upholding family voice um, because it's so important for family voice to be heard um, in the mental health world. It's very easy for it to be squashed, um, quite honestly. Um, so one of the things that we do at Pinnacle Partnerships is we have what are called uh, family synergy specialists, which are professionals with lived experience like myself, who have a vast experience professionally, but use very thoughtfully and purposely their lived experience to support other professionals, educators, families, to help people understand what it's like to be a family in the system and so my son was maybe two when i started to realize that things weren't exactly moving along at the same pace as his peers in daycare and other spaces um and by the time he was three he had been screened out of four different early interventions. Mm -hmm. I knew something was happening. He's always did great one-to-one -one on the testing when they would come out to evaluate him. And so he would get screened out. And I would, at that point, didn't know much, right? And so I just, okay. And I move, would move along and be frustrated, right? But, you know, I, I was feeling like, well, I'm not an expert, I'm not a professional. And, you know, in hindsight, realized that a lot of his challenges came from the social piece. And that's where his behaviors were coming from. I wasn't understanding that at that point as a parent who was just understanding that I had a child that had needs um, and wouldn't come to understand that for a while. So we were screened out very early. And so he was unsuccessful. He was disenrolled from 10 different daycares um, by the time that he was, I think, five years old. Mm -hmm. And I was at a complete loss. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know anybody else who was like me. All I knew was that people were telling me that my kid was bad, out of control. I needed to get him in control. I already had an older child who was like my angel baby, right? She was just like, always like, didn't have any of these challenges and I was raising them the same way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I feel like I've always had these angels that have helped me along the way. Mm -hmm. And so I had somebody tell me that I could have him tested for, through the school district. And so we went for an IEP, an individualized educational program testing. And I went through and one of the testers said to me, he does so great one-to-one, -one, mm. but it's clear that he has needs. This is what you need to say in this meeting to be able to get him approved for the IEP. Yes. And don't tell anybody I told you that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I, I did what she said and I said those things and he was qualified for that kind of bare bones, 
um, skeleton IEP that got him into an in integrated pre-K. So it was some typically developing kids and some kids that were on IEP plans. And that is what it took for people to be able to see what was happening with him and him in an environment and be able to collect data on his um, struggles and the things that are hap were happening with him and his behaviors. And so very quickly, other people started to recognize what was happening with him. Yeah. And so it was in very short order that we were actually completely out of a public school district. Mm -hmm. So by the time he went from pre-K to kindergarten, he was in a substantially separate classroom, which was all um, special ed students. And then by the time he was in first grade, he was in an out of district, full therapeutic day school mm. um, that actually had a residential component. So by that time, when he was seven years old, he was having such a difficult time that we had gone through, at that point, eight psychiatric hospitalizations. And it took him essentially being stuck in the last hospitalization where he just wasn't able to maintain safety enough to come home that we had department, the department of mental health, um, my school district and others at the hospital kind of all working together to talk about what his needs were and that it was really, I was unable to manage him at home. Now, many people say, what? He was six, right? And it's like, let me tell you, a six-year-old can shut a house down. <laughs> like, yeah, yes. he, like, when he was shutting my house down, by the time that was happening, his bedroom literally had nothing but a mattress on the floor. Yeah. We couldn't even have the box spring because... Yeah he was just, his body was so out of control and we didn't have all of the things that it took to make him be able to calm down. And it was very difficult. I had another child whose safety I had to worry about. He was very explosive. And at six, he didn't have the language. And to this day, he's 15 now, um, he still sometimes doesn't have the language. And so it's been a very long journey, you know, um, and luckily we were able to get him into that residential setting and we were there for about nine months it was the most difficult nine months of my life to not have my child be home with me. Um, and I was exhausted cause I was driving there all the time. And, um, of course, throwing myself into as many things as I could, I ended up, um, being very much integrated into their um, campus and their programming. And this is where I really built my chops, if you will, and my love and understanding for the importance of family engagement. Yeah. So this uh, residential school where he was, really, they wanted my voice. They had a parent there that was a parent liaison who was also a parent that had a child that was grown and had gone through all this. So she was using her personal experience and she would invite me to participate in different things. 
And the more I would participate, the more they would ask me. And so before I knew it, I was representing Family Voice on their board of directors. Mm. I was on their uh, committee for restraint and seclusion. I was looking at their data with them. Of course, not they were keeping all the kids' names um, I'm losing my words, keeping all the kids' names um, private from me. Um, but we were looking at the data of the number of, of restraints, of how they were including families, of what families didn't, what kids that were there were in a foster care set situation versus had their own family involvement. And really, I was completely integrated. I was the co-chair for the parent council. And it was an experience where I realized that the parent voice, they were using my input, the input I would get from other families, and they were making decisions and putting things into effect. Yeah. And that made my sons stay, not only for himself, but for the other kids that were there, different. Yeah. And so that to me is really when I decided like, this is what I want to do for a career. It not only gives me the opportunity to be sort of like on the cutting edge, right? Because a lot of places don't do this. They don't know how to do it well. To be out there on the cutting edge and teaching people how to do it and having the difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. But I also get the secondary gain of being the first one that's there to learn about new things, to know services that's there for my son and for the other families that I would meet along the way. Mm -hmm. I've met amazing parents who I've stayed close with that I know I can call at 2 a.m. or they can call me at 2 a.m. And that network of natural supports, when you're raising kids that do things that other parents don't understand or would quite honestly be horrified by, you know, some of the things that happen in my house, I can't tell just anybody about. <laughs> you know, they're having a special like network of people who I can say like this thing. So the other day my son got upset and threw a shoe and it broke my kitchen light and shattered. And thankfully nobody was underneath it. Right. And, and I'm not like, clutch my pearls right yes. right they, they're like oh really that that happened to us a few years ago or they have like a story that they can share that ability to be with people that normalizes that it really makes you feel part of a community mm. and I think we all need that right the ability to know others that are like us and I actually wrote a blog that's on our website that says like <clears throat> you know, family partners, which is one of the names that professionals are with lived experience are called. Um, it's like, you had me at hello, right? Like that Jerry <laughs> Maguire line. Yeah. Um, you don't have to say much. It's, mm. it's, it's just there, that understanding. And so, you know, we've come a long way and, and he's still not able to be in our home district in a public setting, but he's in a day school and has been coming back and forth. And the stigma is still real for us, right? And I have a huge community of people that know me and I'm very open and honest. Um, he's come on lots of my lives that I've done and people know him and he talks about his challenges and all of that good stuff. But even though it was eight years ago that he was in a residential set setting, I still have people that say, 
is he home with you still? And it's like, yeah, for the past eight years. <laughs> right. So like all of those things that kind of exist out there, um, that I feel like is one of my personal passions to really like melt that stigma, right? Yeah. And let people know that this is okay, you know, and there are different ranges of mental health um, and everybody presents differently. Yeah. And this is a tough thing. Having an explosive child is a tough thing. And I know other families who can't sleep at night because they're afraid that their child is going to cut themselves yeah. or they may wake up to their child have, have died by suicide right? Because they keep everything inside. Mm -hmm. And so there's a wide spectrum. And then there's, there are things in the middle that are not anywhere near that extreme. Yeah. And the point is just that mental health yeah. is mental wealth, right? And so we should just be open and honest. And I think the more we can talk about it and make it a normalized conversation and be in surroundings like the three, three empowered, wonderful women, like the three of us that are on here today. And I feel so blessed to be able to have these conversations um, with people and more people that I know are more able to have these conversations um, and just really expand. And I think especially at this time in the world, like I said, I think, Things are going to real mental health is got, is about to have a moment, <laughs> and so like let's just be let's be the pioneers, right? Like let's be the ones that are leading the way. That's how I have always felt. I feel that God blessed me with this baby because He was mine to take care of, and because there was a larger purpose in it. Yes. And I think that all the people I've met along the way, um, including Diana and you, Anna, and all of the other people who are accepting of our story and are able to put it, put it on podcasts and talk about it on websites and we just share it and make it common, yeah. there, are, there are thousands of people that will come behind us that will benefit from us having the hard conversation. And that's what really gets me up every morning and gives me the courage to share the things that have happened along the course of my life. Yeah. And I see them all as blessings, even though sometimes in the moment I'm like, this is a blessing, right? But like it is in the end, all of these things I feel like are meant, meant to happen. Yeah. And so I feel blessed and encouraged and chosen. Yeah. That is absolutely beautiful and powerful. And I just want to say thank you for sharing your story, not only on this platform, but also um, in general. I know that um, there have been many that you helped, many that will be listening, and many more to come that really will feel, will feel seen, you know, because I know there, there can be this feeling of uh, feeling invisible. Um, and feeling like you're the only one, especially as a caregiver. Um, and I say that only as someone that who has worked with many families that um, they just need that validation that, you know, they're not the only one. And to have those spaces where you can share those stories, like that light shattering, um, and nobody will, will judge you, you know, that you have that freedom to 
um, really be vulnerable and transparent. So I just want to say thank you so much um, for sharing your story. Um, absolutely, absolutely powerful. Um, what advice would you have for any families that have um, children with new diagnosis and, and stepping into this um, just now? Um, you know, that it's scary and that you're going to grieve. Um, and it's okay because that's part of the process. Yeah. You're not alone. There are other families out there. There's a ton of private Facebook groups out there. <laughs> so, you know, if you can search some of them out, um, you'll find them and you'll find lots of people like you. Um, if you can't come to pinnaclepartnerships.org and we'll get you to them. Yeah. Um, and it, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. Um, there's a silver lining and a reason for everything and there's ups and there's downs and that's the ride of life. I would say that would be my advice is that to just try to ride it, right? And and in the beginning, the waves are gonna crash over you, but before you know it, you'll be like uh, hanging 10 on, on your surfboard <laughs> and like just getting through and you'll find your tribe and your, your kid will be amazing um, in spite of or because of their mental health needs. Mm. So much, that is, Absolutely awesome. I love the, this time that we have shared all the resources and um, you all are just phenomenal. And thank you again. I am honored to know y'all. And, um, you know, I, is there anything I know we talked a lot, but is there are there any takeaways last minute takeaways before um, we say bye to the people? No, I think, you know, I think we pretty much covered it. You know, the main thing, it really is being flexible with yourself and others and, you know, taking that time and space that you need to, to process whatever it is you need to process during this unprecedented time. And, um, you know, Pinnacle, we're here, you know, our, our mission is to help people and uh, especially children and families. And so, you know, we've, we've positioned ourselves to be able to do that from multiple angles. And um, if anybody is looking for ways that, um, for support or anything, I would encourage them to just head to our website and get in contact with us. And if we're not the right people to help, we, you know, we'll get you to the right person. So again, Christy and Diana, did you want to say something, Christy? <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you for having us. And just, um, you know, to anybody listening that, to not give up hope um, in these times, no matter what, that all these things find a way somehow to work out. Um, and so uh, I, we're very grateful to be able to have the time to talk to you, Anna, and be able to connect with your audience. Yeah. And um, I think that we're in a very interesting time in the world. We're living through history um, and is as powerful women, we're gonna keep stomping through it and creating ways, right? Yeah. It's the time for women to come out. Yeah, right? it is. <laughs> the way. It sure is. <laughs> Trailblazers, it's time. Yeah. 
<laughs> so y'all, you all know how much we talk about community, hence the community well. Make Pinnacle Partnerships a part of your village. Uh, make sure you go to their website. And if you need them, please reach out to them. They are amazing. And thank you again, Christy, Diana. I am so grateful for you all and for your time. Thanks again for everything, guys. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, y'all.